kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. Uh, it's Monday, it's a little after six o'clock, and with me is the best producer that money can't buy, which is good because I'm still not paying him. Hi, Barry, how are you this evening? Oh, good. Sun went down about 20 minutes ago. Happy <laughs> solstice, everybody. <laughs> Yay! First day of summer. Uh, no, no, no. Longest day. First day oh. of summer was like May. Oh, um, well. Yeah. Right. Okay. I don't know everything. I just know a few things. So, um, speaking of one of the few things I know is that uh, we've kind of begun a tradition in the uh, Jeannie Kalis show that we've been doing lately. And that tradition is that at right after intros, we start with the CASA update. So, um, I think it's time for everybody to just about uh, welcome Alex to the show. Yep, just getting them there. Okay. So it'll be just a second, and Alex Clark from Casal will be joining us. Good evening, Alex. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to the Casal update for the week of 6-20-2016. How are you this week? Good. Good. I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to this week, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So what has been going on? Um, well, uh, I guess we've, we've sort of talked about all of the, the updates that I have. You, you put a bunch of links in my Skype chat for me to look over, and I honestly haven't had time. I'm in the process <laughs> of getting my, my phone switched over to, to my name now. Uh. Okay. Um, this is a phone that I carried over from my previous job, so right. uh, they've been paying for it for six months, and like wow. they've been so slammed that they just haven't had an opportunity to get it switched over. So, okay, that's what I've been dealing with for the past hour. Um, oh. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the uh, vaping-related news, I guess, okay. that everybody wants to—that's why people listen to this. Mm -hmm. um, I guess at the top of the list, people in Pennsylvania should be aware that the 40% uh, wholesale tax on vapor products is still a thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I had spoken to Chris Hughes from Pennsylvania uh, 
uh, I guess this weekend and uh, last week. And uh, they're very concerned because it, it sounds like this week is sort of crunch time for them. They have okay. to get their budget in by the 30th, okay. if I remember that correctly. And uh, so this week is sort of when everybody's going to be debating, making decisions, and so on. Um, and so uh, you had shared a, a link with me about uh, Americans for Tax Reform is... Yep. Uh, initiating a call campaign mm -hmm. uh, so people living in specific districts in Pennsylvania uh, these are house districts uh, district 28 district 62 and Senate district 34 can expect um, if what I sound like uh, you will be receiving phone calls um, I, I believe urging you to contact your lawmakers which would be uh, House Speaker Mark, Mark, Mike Terzai, uh, House Majority Leader Dave Reed, and Senate Majority Leader Jake Corman, uh, and call them and urge them to oppose any extra tax on vapor products. Um, and of course, we have our uh, engagement, which is currently active, uh, sending emails, and uh, there's even an option in there to uh, find your lawmakers' contact information and give them a call. And we provide right. talking points and all that wonderful stuff. Yep. Um, so Pennsylvania, get up, get on the phone, and call your lawmakers. Um, the other thing that uh, I guess it's, this is sort of old news, but um, it, it never really hurts to, to clarify things. Um, West Virginia passed a seven and a half cent per milliliter tax on e-liquid yep. and there was some confusion I don't know if we I think I might have misstated the, the kind of uh, parameters of this tax last week mm -hmm. um, and, and I, I hope you had the opportunity to correct my misstatement in the okay. show notes um, but this is just a seven and a half percent tax per milliliter on e-liquid, there's no like extra wholesale tax. All of that was it was a lot of people were getting confused because the first part of the bill actually addressed uh, a tax on other tobacco products, right. and I believe they raised the taxes on cigarettes. Um, and I saw some actually reports about the West Virginia tax, and it completely neglected to mention the the vapor tax. Right. Um, but uh, this is just a I hate to say just a, but it is it is limited to a tax, a seven and a half percent, seven and a half cent tax on e-liquid yeah. per milliliter. Sorry, I'm not not speaking well, very well tonight. Well, no, no, but I mean it. It really it could have been worse had it been like the forty percent of wholesale and the seven percent. That would have been seven and a half cents. I'm sorry, per milliliter. That could have been much worse. Which is what I. But the the legislation is it's so confusing to read. It um, it's it's friggin' legalese. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it's it doesn't seem to be very well thought through. I mean, it, it's not a comprehensive kind of thing where they actually laid out the process by which you know retailers or wholesalers or distributors are supposed to go through getting whatever license or registration they need to do with the tax commission. Um, there's still a lot of questions about 
um, you know, it specifically says that the 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 person who sells the product to whoever in West Virginia is responsible for the tax, and they have to be registered with the tax commission. So. Does that mean that a wholesaler outside of the state of West Virginia has to get a license or register with the tax commissioner? And how do you go about doing that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a lot of questions that need to be answered by people doing business there, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it just wasn't very clear. And of course, you know, as soon as this thing passes, people go into panic mode, and sure. and you know, it, the effective date is July first. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people are, are sort of scrambling to figure out what they need to be doing. Um, the the kind of only real good news here is that the first payments aren't due until August fifteenth. Right. So you know you have to start accounting for the taxes due starting on you know sales that happen right. July first, but the payments aren't due until a month and a half later. Mm -hmm. So I, I would assume. And, and, and I, there should just be an automatic caveat there. Like whenever I say assume that this is not legal advice, right. but I, I would assume that you've got some leeway there for people to get registered with the tax commission and then you know be compliant. Um, and and, it, and but of, of course you know the tax commission needs to come up with the appropriate process yeah. mm -hmm. by which people apply or register or get licenses or whatever. So. And that is all sort of written. That 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 language is is basically in the bill. Is that the tax commission has to come up with the procedure? So, yeah, um, uh, yeah it's just it's it's unfortunate for people in West Virginia. And I, I, it is. I, 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 yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Tax issue aside, this is one of those things that comes with with new taxes. Is mm -hmm. all this additional paperwork and record keeping and. Um, you know, this I, I, I'm only bringing this up because, you know, these small taxes don't sound like a whole lot, mm -hmm. but there is a paperwork burden associated with it. There is mm -hmm. there's all this other stuff that people have to do in order to be compliant. That, um, you know, it, it arguably, you know, applying for your business license is relatively easy by comparison. Um, so I, I haven't heard a whole lot of chatter about this lately, but you know, I remember last year there were several times when the tax discussion came up. Mm -hmm. You always have these people that sort of believe that, well, if we just let them tax it a little bit, it legitimizes the industry and they'll kind of leave us alone on other issues. Um, that's, you know, I understand where that motivation comes from, you know, oh, sure. from another industry where we're talking about daylighting something and, and making the industry legit. But, you know, the, the vapor industry is already legitimate. They're already selling a legal product. It's, it's, that's not what this is about. And, yep. um, you know, taxes bring with them a whole other slew of issues. So, um, yeah, just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, I, I don't know if you saw it. But uh, the thing about Chicago was pretty interesting. Uh, delaying the tobacco tax. Yeah, they got sued. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like that was a, a thing um, that uh, was discussed early on. But if you have more details about that, I'm I'm happy to hear them. Oh no, no, I'm I'm just saying I, I think it's great that they got sued in court because they say it's actually illegal. Um, now this is for, for the the hike in tobacco tax. This doesn't affect yes. the paper tax, right? 
I don't know. Uh, a proposed tobacco tax increase in Chicago was scheduled to go into effect on July 1st. has been delayed as the city has agreed to wait till the 60th day after the circuit court enters a decision as to whether or not the city is allowed to implement such a tax. So um, the people who sued them were the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association because that was considered an OTP and other tobacco tax. Mm -hmm. Weren't we considered OTP or were we taxed as a vapor product? I, I, that, that was the confusion I had about it. Um, I, now that you mention it, I would have to research that. I, I do know that, I, I mean, D.C., uh, was they redefined other tobacco product to include uh, vapor products, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel that, I, I believe um, Chicago just separately taxed, yeah. separately taxed electronic cigarettes. Huh. The, I think the confusion might be that for the purposes of the indoor clean air law, Right. They defined tobacco product to include vapor product, yeah. um, smoking to include vaping, and so on. Um, but for some reason, I think that you know, for the taxes, okay. uh, e-cigarettes or electronic cigarette smoking liquid or some stupid term like that was used. Okay. Um, and because uh, I remember this question coming up before, mm -hmm. that that Chicago may not, you know, in terms of. of uh, I think Illinois has there's some preemption there that the mm -hmm. state sets the taxes and cities aren't allowed to to do that on their own. Yeah. Um, but since vapor products were classified separately for the purposes of taxation, that the, this lawsuit to... doesn't necessarily apply. Well, I mean, it might for smokeless, which would be good for them because they're also a reduced risk product. Right. Yeah. So this would be a good thing for yeah. It, seeing as OTP is something that the state would cover, uh, this might be a good thing for, for, for snooze and, and mm -hmm. smokeless tobacco. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, can't, uh, you can't get a victory every time, but sometimes you can get the wheels of, of justice to spin in the way. So it was just interesting reading about it. You yeah. Know? So there was that. Um, so what is going on with the bottle cap situation? Do you know? Well, I, I saw that you had dropped that in the the chat, and and I actually have this this newsletter keeps haunting me, and I <laughs> um, we're supposed to, I I have our spring newsletter like, almost done, right. um, and there's a, a section in there in red uh, about the uh, July twenty sixth effective date of the. Um, is it child nicotine poisoning prevention, prevention act? Yeah. Of 2015, 2015. Yep. Um, yes, which uh, requires um, all e-liquid to be sold in child-resistant packaging that is uh, compliant with U.S. code. Right. Um, and uh, so, I, like I said, I didn't have the, the the chance to read whatever article you put in my oh, feed. It wasn't an article. Somebody was saying they were getting letters from the state that they were going to start coming in and inspecting. And what what, what state was that? Oh, I don't hang on. Because several states, uh, you know, a handful of states have already adopted sure. basically this language. Mm -hmm. um, and this was one of the things that we, 
I, it's Kassaw it, wasn't necessarily. Um, I mean, we weren't actively out there pushing for this, but it was one of those talking points that I think a lot of people had adopted was that if the state was going to make this child-resistant packaging requirement, it needed to be consistent with U.S. code. Mm -hmm. And um, so several states actually did do that. It's the Poisoning Packaging Prevention Act. Right. Um, it's, is it, uh, it's not, um, is it yeah. chapter 16? Section 1700 uh, yeah. is, is kind of the general area that you would see it. And yeah. um, well, actually, and it's it's the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission is is sending out letters to the retailers they can find. Okay. Um, that you know <clears throat> they they're getting a letter that they're I guess they're sen sending out the requirements and telling them that you know they could be um, checked by the state. So yeah. that they need to be in compliance. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, this is this is something that the industry was alerted to in January, at mm -hmm. the end of January, when when President Obama signed this act into law, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it it has it has taken kind of um, second chair to. Uh, FDA deeming regulations. A lot of people are so focused on August 8th and, and doing what they need to do to be compliant for that, but this child-resistant packaging thing has been yeah, um, overlooked. You know, it, it should have been on everybody's mind for you know the past five months. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I do know that trade associations, um, I, I believe, Safada alerted their membership to to this issue. Um, and, and this is something that I think we've all been aware of. Well, I think a lot of the smaller standalone retailers that maybe aren't members are just shocked. They're baffled. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, I guess that is where, you know, the, the, the compliance monitoring, monitoring will take place. Um, it, it seems more, uh, cost effective, honestly, for, uh, enforcement agencies to go to manufacturers and and say, "Hey, uh, this you need you need to be compliant. Here you go." Uh, but um, I guess if you really want to catch people off mm -hmm. guard and collect some some fines, yeah, uh, then you go to the you know the mm -hmm. independent vapor shop that's kind of tucked away and perhaps right. in some sort of information desert, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think most people don't know that whoever, if you bottle your own e-liquid, whoever sells you your bottles can send you a certificate, you know, certification that those bottles meet that specific or those specific set of requirements required by law, and you can display that in your shop, you know. So yeah, at the, at, the, knows. at the very least, you have it on file, and so when the uh, uh, enforcement people come by, you say, yeah. yep. I got, got letters it. from all of these manufacturers and all of these bottles are compliant. So, yep. um, so. but it, again, and, and it should be emphasized, um, there are all kinds of child resistant packaging, sure. uh, things out there. Uh, but you know, it, it, if you're getting your bottles from overseas, um, there are, there's a chance that it is not compliant with us code. Um, so it, it is, it, it, and even in the state laws that were passed, um, 
that it's very specifically worded that it should be con compliant with with U.S. code, and and there's a very specific testing protocol that's laid out uh, in our laws that needs to be followed. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's that's and somewhere in that letter it should say, you know, tested in accordance with whatever you know yes. title this that and the other thing. So yeah, um, so yeah, yeah. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that there were still people freaking out about it because how how much have we talked about it every week? Every single week for months we've talked about it, and I'm assuming other vape show hosts have talked about it, and I'm sure there were articles about it. It's just it's surprising to me that it's not a bigger issue to people. Well, you know, 95% of the vape media that's out there is product porn. So I, I don't actually have the same confidence that a lot of this word is reaching, you um, know, <laughs> the, the kind of disparate groups that are out there that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing, you know, buy, Here's... sell trade. They're talking about the, the latest atomizer or e-liquid. Sure. Um, and, and not necessarily paying attention to, you know, what the, um, what the regulations are going to be. And, you know, it, it's, it, this is just this industry and the consumer base, you know, it's made up of people that are finding out about these products, you know, today, this week, yeah. last week, it's, it's, sure. uh, there are, there's all kinds of new faces moving into this space and, um, you know, I thought there was a lot to get caught up on three years ago. Yeah. I can't imagine walking into this today and somebody saying, hey, FDA deeming regulations. Like, just, I, I mean, <laughs> that's that's quite a lot to absorb. So, um, yeah. you know, and I get, I get phone calls and emails mm -hmm. from people, um, you know, a, a, a few a week that are opening up a new business. They're they're set to open up their business in a couple of weeks, and they're curious about the regulations. <laughs> it's like wow. you know you've you've gotten two weeks away from your doors opening, and you're just now hearing about this. It's That's... it's yeah yeah no it is um, yeah uh, yeah faith in humanity dims a little bit again um, <laughs> but um, yeah um, so. I don't, is that about it? Oh, um, somebody was having a meeting tonight about Tobacco 21. Uh, I believe you said it was Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine. Yep. So Portland, Maine is in the midst of having their Tobacco 21 meeting. This includes vapor products. So. Yeah, I'm not sure what uh, the cities in Maine are like. I, I, uh, my view of all northeastern states now is sort of tainted by Massachusetts. Oh, um, well, yeah. Oh, wait, actually, uh, since we're in the, the northeast region of the country. Um, okay. But anyway, I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, okay. But, so I, I don't know if, if this is the, the city or local department of health or, or what have you. Um, and, uh, and I'm just hearing about this, you know, tonight. So I, I, not much I can put out about it, but I'll have to follow up and see how that goes. Um, but... Uh, speaking of the Northeast, uh, Rhode Island managed to get through their entire session, and I believe they did not successfully pass any threatening uh, anti-vaping legislation. 
Um, I had the pleasure of going up there for a committee hearing, uh, which included uh, a bill to raise the purchase age to 21. Um, and uh, I talked about that on, on a previous update. I believe uh, the hearing was sort of uh, in disarray because the committee chair had been indicted for something. I, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. I, I, I think I remember what, but we won't talk about it. Um, there was a joint task force. And FBI and state police were investigating the committee chairperson. So at the beginning of the hearing, they basically came out and said, we're just going to hold all of these bills over for, for further study. Um, but we'll, you know, hear testimony just to, you know, keep yeah. things going. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that bill didn't really go anywhere. Uh, there was an indoor vaping ban that made it to the House floor. Um, and, and I have to thank, um, I, I know I'm going to mess up her last name. I want to say it's Lisa Corleone. Okay. Lisa, she's uh, been very active in Rhode Island mm -hmm. and um, I, I believe she owns a vape shop. Um, and uh, so she was actually at the, uh, the, the, the Capitol uh, for to, to, to watch the, the, the house floor hearing um, and uh, posted up a video of the, the vapor debate mm -hmm. um, and there was about I think about maybe a dozen um, representatives that ended up opposing the bill um, but I kind of kept the list of, of all the arguments against mm -hmm. the indoor vaping ban and uh, um, but this, this, it was a house bill. It only made it to the floor of the house. It was passed by the house, but was not sent over to the Senate and the, uh, legislature adjourned without anything else going on. So congratulations, Rhode Island. And a special thank you for all the people that were working hard to keep this legislation at bay. Um, I did hear during the debate, um, one of the representatives actually, um, I didn't keep it in my notes, but it was, oh, what did we have? I forget who said it, but one of the representatives actually got up and said, well, nicotine causes cancer. Um, but he was quickly corrected by another representative, um, now that story kind of sucks without like telling you names, <laughs> right. but uh, it was good to hear that you know that that misinformation was very quickly corrected by another representative. So um, yeah. kudos to those in Rhode Island who stood up and uh, set the record straight. Yeah. Um, <sighs> <laughs> it's too much, isn't it? It's it's it there's is. so much. It's it's um, it's almost hard to know what to talk about or what people know or what they don't know because I I showed you stuff today I know you haven't seen and I know you see stuff I don't see. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, I've I've actually been spending my day trying to get the, the newsletter finished up and I'm actually um taking some continuing education uh stuff to be a better CASA employee. Um, so, uh, 
grateful for that opportunity and, and trying to, I'm a sucky student, but trying, trying to really make the most of it. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I think the other thing that's really on the, the, in the forefront of people's minds is, um, the Indiana law taking effect. Um, I believe that takes effect on the 30th. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I have admittedly kept Indiana sort of at a distance. The people on the ground in Indiana have, um, now, I, I want to say that they have a pretty good understanding of the law, but um, it, it, the law itself is, is kind of been a source of confusion. So um, I have ultimately sort of deferred to their analysis and their experience with it and uh, strongly recommend that, you know, if, if anybody is curious about how that's going, uh, to seek out the folks in, in Indiana. Um, sure. Evan McMahon, Amy Lane, uh, Hoosier Vapors. Um, and of course, the Right to Be Smoke Free Coalition is, yep. is is still working on this issue. Um, so those are excellent sources of information for anybody that's curious. Um, and of course, there's been some some news articles coming out. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks from you know the drop dead date here, and mm -hmm. uh, you have some pretty harsh, uh, warranted criticism of of the regulations that will basically shrink the industry in Indiana down to six manufacturers. Shrink. Yeah, no, shrink is shrink is the right word. It's yeah. It's um prohibition by dictate. <laughs> well, it's not really prohibition because there are manufacturers that are still allowed well, to be in business. Yeah, but there's it's it's six just of this them. sort of yeah, you know, it, it it's it's uh, I, it, I don't know what's the opposite of the invisible hand. Um <laughs> the 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 big visible nanny is standing over yelling. I don't know. But uh, if I've seen, I, I live in, in a place called Charlotte County, and we have an anaerobic septic system. Every place here does. And I know this has nothing to do with it, but looking at the Indiana law reminded me a lot of the regulations for that here. We only have one vendor in no, I'm sorry, two vendors in the state that are trained to care for these systems. And you have to get a service contract with them every December. And mm -hmm. it's $500 just to live here. I'm like, you know, that's just, it's crazy. It's a crazy amount of money. And it's, it's very, it almost smacks of someone giving someone they're related to a favor. Can I prove it? No, but it's just, it's how it looks. And it reminds me a lot of that regulation in Indiana, you know? Yeah, well, the accusations of crony capitalism have, have been have been thrown and, and are certainly warranted. I mean, it, this is, you know, reduces this down to one security company that can satisfy the, um, the requirements. Yeah. They keep saying that there's a second one that's being reviewed. <laughs> um, but, you know, even then, it's kind of like, it's built into the law, apparently, that uh, if you don't get your application in before June 30th, uh, yep. you, you, you never have the opportunity to do this mm -hmm. again. Uh, it's kind of like liquor licenses in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. um, or I, 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 I don't know how other states run their liquor licenses, but the state you know, basically says there are so many liquor licenses available, and you can purchase one of these, or you, you know, buy one 
from somebody who's selling theirs, which, you know, liquor licenses sell for <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sure thing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a very, it's, it's very strong arm regulation and absolutely yeah. unnecessary. I, I agree. Um, so is, I don't want to say is that it for this week? Cause there's always something one of us forgets to say, but I guess that's it for this week, Alex. Let you get back to your continuing education course. <laughs> um, I think so. That should suffice. We've, we've uh, okay. managed to fill a lot of time. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything you do for us, Alex. And we'll see you next week. All right. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So we, what we didn't talk about was the global forum on nicotine. Do you want to talk about that at all, Barry? Um, I'm still reading through this stuff. <laughs> okay. Do you want to drop a link in chat for people who may yep, have not I seen can, it? Yeah, hang on. Awesome. I'll dig that up. So the slides look really good. Yeah. But it seems like it was a good event. Uh, some very interesting research presented. Uh, some of it you'll, uh, people might have seen before. Right. Uh, and also, of course, they also had the European premiere of A Billion Lives. Lives, yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I guess people got to see it. I, I mean, I, I can't wait. Yeah. Mm. I'm still keeping my fingers crossed that it gets shown at the Edinburgh Film Festival. Well, that would be nice. I'll get to see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, here, I don't know if I told anybody this. When I was in high school, to graduate high school, and this is weird, it's a departure, but it, it all has connective tissue, and I'll get right back to a billion lives. Um, when I was in high school, uh, to graduate, we had to do volunteer work. So I said, okay, well, there is an autism center for extremely autistic people right around the corner. So I will go there and I'll volunteer. And I volunteered about 10 hours a week. And it was some of the hardest work I'd ever done because severely autistic people are, they're very hard to manage and deal with and they're very strong. Um, and a lot of people were from about eight years old up into adulthood that we worked with. And in it, it was hard work, but it was rewarding and it was good knowing that, you know, we were, were helping the parents. You know what I mean? They could have time to do their shopping or if the yeah. child or young adult or adult had a particularly um, sleepless night, they could get some rest or, or what have you. So, I mean, there, that was satisfying in that respect. But it was some of the hardest work I'd ever done and I got to know a lot of the parents and, and most of the parents told me the same thing. Their child had been on a lot of antibiotics. The child seemed fine up until about 18 months. Then they went and got a round of vaccines and boom. No, you know, fever, vomiting, bad reaction to the vaccine. And then boom, nobody's home behind the eyes anymore. The child they knew was no longer there. I, and I, I remember that story and I, I kind of carried it with me. And I, I know I'm not a person who doesn't believe in vaccines, but... I always thought it was odd. So I went to go see the movie Vaxxed. They were showing it down here in one theater. And what I was, th this goes back around to a billion lives. Um, 
it, it's actually a very interesting documentary and it covers government corruption, much like with the FDA and CDC that we're seeing with e-cigarettes and regal cinemas will show these films, but they have to sense a demand for it. So I don't know if we could maybe write to regal cinemas here in America about the documentary or not, Yeah, but regal is very, very, very open to that. They take a lot of independent documentaries like that, that cover government corruption and they show them, um, they sell movie tickets, you know, they're, they're all for that. They're all for in it, in it to make money. As long as there is a demand for it, they'll do it. So I just thought I would share my experience with that. Um, and yeah, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, but I do believe the government is corrupt. Not yeah. a shock, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's so much stuff in the news. I don't even know where to start. I think I might start with Japan. i don't even know why i just i think there is something really refreshing about when a government official tells the truth um so i'm gonna read this and even though he told the truth it's kind of horrific well he has to because you know he has to get the truth in before godzilla attacks and destroys everything (laughs) yeah okay in fresh out of elderly aso asks how much longer do you intend to keep living Gaff-prone finance minister Taro Aso was again caught taking a swipe at the elderly, saying last week that he wondered how much longer a 90-year-old person intends to live. The outspoken Aso, who is also deputy prime minister, made the comment at a Liberal Democratic Party rally in Oatu, Hokkaido on Friday, where he said, I recently saw someone as old as 90 on television saying how the person was worried about the future. I wondered, how much longer do you intend to keep on living? His comments, part of a speech urging wealthy elderly citizens to spend more to spur the economy, drew immediate fire from the Democratic Party president, Katsua Okada. This is an insult to the nation's elderly Okada, told reporters in Yufu. Otida Prefecture on Saturday. It's extremely disheartening that someone who cannot understand the public's concerns about nursing care is serving as finance minister. During the Oatu rally, Aso pointed to the more than 1.7 quadrillion yen. Is that yen? You want personal assets held nationwide, saying the money needs to be spent. The biggest problem at present is how everyone is staying put, he said. If you don't spend the money you have, that money will mean nothing. What's the point of accumulating more wealth? Just looking at the money you have? So is no stranger to offending key electoral groups, young and old, and is known for having a thick skin. In 2013, at a government meeting on Social Security reform, he said the elderly should, quote, hurry up and die as they're causing taxpayers huge sums for medical care. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We we always say we want our politicians to be honest. (laughs) never seen anybody quite that honest before he, he's he, he 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 wants to go the extra mile uh <laughs> yeah but yeah old age is a huge problem in asian countries <laughs> well i can remember when this man was elected and he was in his early 60s and he yeah. saying to the press no one should live to be older than 70. The man is 75 years old. So he's taking pot shots at 90-year-olds. They're not that far ahead of him. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it does kind of seem ironic to me. 
But, um, but it's, it's quite... Uh, Japan's a weird country. Uh, right, they have lots of elderly no. people. Lots no, and lots it's of not elderly. weird. Not at all. No, no, not weird. And I'm going to explain <laughs> the particular weird. Okay. Um, they don't exactly know how many people over 100 they have. They know it's quite a lot. But... <laughs> But quite often, families don't bother telling them when relatives have died. So, <laughs> they haven't had a detailed census in quite some time. Wow. So, there have been lots of cases where um, children of people who've died have ended up in court because they've been claiming old but person benefits so for sure. relatives that have been dead for 20 years. <laughs> Um, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, hey, no, it's not should... until somebody in the the government office goes, "Really, this person's 146. Mm, better check on that." Uh, and it's like, "No, no, they only made it to 120." It's like, <laughs> <laughs> We've been paying the benefit since then, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I I understand what the finance minister is saying. Believe me, I get yeah. it. You know, but uh, also tact. I thought that the <laughs> Japanese were known for it. Not this guy. No, no, no. It's not exactly tact they have in Japan. Um, it's the whole saving face thing. Ah. You're allowed to say what you want as long as you're honourable about it. <laughs> Okie dokie. That's I'm why they don't like him, though, is because he's key steps just beyond that. Which is <laughs> so why he, he keeps getting criticised. Well, I, I just... You don't hear honestly. Well, I can't say that. Boris Johnson, uh, I've seen him be interviewed in, in the UK, and he, he is, I think, honest or crazy or both. But um, he seems to answer and not talk around the issue like most politicians. So that those those two people are, are interesting to watch. The man Although, from though Boris does also like throwing in weird Latin quotes and stuff. <laughs> That make no sense. Well, yeah. I I didn't say I thought he was sane. He kind of... Shares a hairstylist with Donald Trump, I think. I was going to say, I thought his hairstylist was Jeff Daniels' hairstylist from Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, or um, Gary Busey. Well, yeah. Yeah, no. (laughs) He's uh, interesting, although I think he's quite unhinged. Yeah. I've said before, if you if you want to see why Boris is unhinged, track down film of his father being interviewed. Uh, He's also yeah. a politician, and worse than Boris. That is frightening. So you're saying mm. it looks like Boris got some preemptive medical treatment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, so one thing we know in the UK, they will absolutely interrupt their mentally ill politicians on the air, just like here. Only you get to really hear some interesting stuff. Okay, so I said we'd talk about helicopter money. Okay, um, I'm going to ask, and I, I don't think anybody in the chat is going to answer, but just in case you feel so inclined, does anybody know what helicopter money is? Because if you want a good definition, I've got one for you. And it, it's in <laughs> the story. <laughs> uh, Federal Reserve may consider using helicopter money. Fed Chair Janet Yellen said it would only be used in an abnormal, extreme situation. Because, you know, yeah. 
Federal Reserve Chairwoman Janet Yellen said that the central bank might consider using helicopter money in an extreme economic downturn at a press conference following the Federal Open Market Committee meeting on Wednesday. Helicopter money is a phrase used to describe the idea in which the government prints large sums of money in order to stimulate the economy. Low Zimbabwe. Critics of helicopter money believe the policy may lead to high inflation while prospects proponents of that idea, such as former Fed Chair Ben Bernanke, that prick, believe that it's a valuable tool when conventional monetary policies are ineffective and when government debt is high. Well, Yellen noted that some countries that print money to finance fiscal policy end up with hyperinflation. She said it remains in the Federal Reserve's toolkit. In normal times, I think it's important that there be a separation between monetary and fiscal policy and its primary reason for independence of the central bank, Yellen said. We've seen all too many examples of countries that end up with high or even hyperinflation because those in charge of fiscal policy direct their central bank to help them finance it by printing money. Yellen said fiscal policy could be a very important tool in addressing weak growth or deflation. Yeah, because, you know, how did we get here? It's natural that if it can be employed, that just as monetary policy is doing a lot to try to stimulate growth, <laughs> that fiscal policy should play a role, she said. Normally, you would hope in an economy that those with severe downside risks, monetary and fiscal policy, would not be working at cross-purposes but together. Now, whether or not such extreme circumstances, there might be a case for, let's say, closed-door coordination with the central bank playing a role in financing fiscal policy. This is something that academics are debating, and it's something that one might legitimately consider. Okay, um, there's enough double-speak and crap on that. The Federal Reserve has nothing to do with government. It is not any part of government. It's it's a banking cartel. Started at Jekyll Island in 1912? 1913. Also, um, also, shouldn't I maybe point out that Yellen might be a little out of touch because they've been helicoptering money in I know. for the last, well, since yeah. 2008. Well, right, but they actually... There's been monthly been... batches of extra money getting thrown into the system in the US. <laughs> right. Oh, I know, but I'm saying... It, helicopter so saying, ones... oh, we're keeping it as an option. It's like, no, you're already doing it. Doing you're just it. not telling anyone you're doing it. Yeah. Well, you did at the start, but you've not bothered... It's not been brought up by the media for like over a year. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, they're, no, still, like... they're still dropping money into the system. Well, they have been for a long time. Yeah. And, and they've been buying up toxic assets. Yeah. Um, uh, and we've been paying for it because we don't actually print our money, even though if you look at our Constitution, we're only supposed to be using coinage and only Congress is supposed to be in charge of that. But no, no, no. We have a banking cartel that does that for us and we pay them to fucking do it. Yeah, because I saw a report, must be a couple of months back, that mm -hmm. you know, yeah, one of the Wall Street one of the people that watches Wall Street, it's like, yeah, the the, the, the stimulus package, <laughs> that's where it gets referred to rather than helicopter money, um, has actually probably been slowing growth, not stimulating it. Of course it has. You know, if they had just, after the housing bubble that they helped artificially inflate, if they had just let it burst, it, it would have been bad. It would have been bad for every country, but we would have come to some sort of solvency agreement, agreement right? We would have yeah. done, we would have had a debt jubilee. And we now wouldn't be looking at the next bubble growing quite nicely. Yeah, Exactly. You can't 
have an economy that just goes bubble to bubble. To, I mean, you can, but it, it just it doesn't the, work. The debt market's like bubonic plague. Mm-hmm. It's it just bubble after bubble mm-hmm. of toxic crap. Um, it is. Because, yeah, the, there's this, the, the, the other big market problem in the USA is car loans. Oh, well, we're it's getting... It's in a bubble as well. We're, we're getting back to subprime again. Yeah. And um, for anybody who was worried about the person that uh, wrote their mortgage being honest and, and upfront and trustworthy, uh, yeah, you, you should still be worried. Well, I've, uh, I've got a story relating to a mortgage, actually. Okay. Uh, ex-roommate got married last mm-hmm. year, and okay. his wife is a foreign national. She's okay. Indian. Um, but they live together, but they want to get their own house. And they're putting aside a £1,000 a month towards a mortgage. They, mm-hmm. they can't get a mortgage in her name. Uh, even though she's married to a UK citizen. They've got... They won't lend to her until all the visa stuff's dealt with, which could take two to three years. Nice. Even though she's in a job where she can pay the mortgage, no problem at all. But the bank's like, no, scary foreigner. Uh, yeah, well, um, and, and a lot of that... But if she was a Russian oligarch, she wouldn't have that trouble. Oh, probably not, but a lot of the banking policy comes directly from us, which is really funny. Um, I really am going to recommend that if you are interested in money, there's two books you want to sit down and read. One is called, um, The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. And it lays out the whole history of the banking cartels and, and just the shady shit they got up to and our involvement with the Lusitania. It, it really all, it's like a big tangled ball and he unravels it and it's interesting reading it's fascinating it's gripping stuff it's not a cheap book but it's the most fascinating thing i've ever read and you know he made history come alive in that book great book the next book i recommend you read is a book called all the president's bankers by nomi prince where um you know how royal families marry cousins sisters and you end up with children in insane asylums and men that look like fucking Dumbo. Yeah. Uh, well, you know all about that. You know, you live yeah. in the UK. Um, well, the banking families kind of have been doing the same thing. But yeah, it's and, not a surprise. You no, to, and it's, it's pretty you gross. You need but to look it's, at Monty Burns. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gross stuff, but um, it really is fascinating reading, but it's also a, not just that that tying up of money with money with money with money with family like there are all these egyptian pharaohs or some fucking shit but it's also about how the banks basically direct all of our policy foreign and domestic it's really a fascinating read and i think people will get a lot from it um so those are <laughs> those are the books that are, are really interesting if you're at all interested in money so uh mortgage companies seek time travelers to find missing documents is from the intercept recruiters are hiring for a job that shouldn't exist finding quote missing documents required to quote complete broken chains on titles on mortgages entering foreclosure 
since all assignments of mortgage should have been prepared and recorded within days of the transfer or sale, and the failure to do so is irreparably ruptures the chain of title, the companies would seem to be looking for time travelers or magicians, or maybe they just want to manufacture false evidence to introduce into courts as a means to take away people's homes without a chain of title documenting the sequence of historical transfers of title to a property foreclosure proceedings, they cannot continue in a legal fashion. Alwan Staffing, a recruiting firm from Jacksonville, Florida, posted a listing on CareerBuilder for a default breach specialist for an unnamed mortgage company who would be tasked with locating missing assignments needed to complete the chain of title prior to foreclosure referral. Uh, the ad follows a separate search from Select Portfolio Servicing, a Utah-based mortgage servicer, for someone to provide assistance demonstrating the investor has the appropriate legal authority to initiate actions through a complete chain of title. Um, and this this author wrote a book called Chain of Title. Um, the, the, the various companies packaging loans during the housing bubble routinely fail to follow precise steps to transfer mortgages to the tax-preferred trusts used to create mortgage-backed securities. For the most part, these breaches cannot be reversed because the government, uh, the governing security documents, known as pooling and servicing agreements, specified a time limit for conveying mortgages into trusts. Regardless of this rigid guideline, uh, mortgage companies hired third parties to mock up after-the-fact documents making it look like they held an unbroken chain of title and had the ability to foreclose. The obvious fabrications have been challenged in court numerous times and were the focus of a national settlement with leading mortgage services companies in 2012. However, the focus of the settlement, false documents submitted to courts and foreclosure cases, continues to this day. The multiple job listings for specialists to fix broken chains of title only confirms that nothing has changed in the industry. No mortgage company would require a chain of title specialist if the documents needed to foreclose existed. So, yeah, that's a fun little fact. Yeah. Why, why am I not surprised that they seem to have built a complex, stupidly complex system for dealing with the mortgage paperwork? Because the more confused... UK, the only thing a judge will look at is current, own, current named owner, previous mm -hmm. named owner. If the current named owner has defaulted on a mortgage, it defaults to the previous named owner. Sure. That's it. That's all they well, do over here. None well, of this, oh, we have to look back years. <laughs> well, you know, I, I hate to quote John Oliver, but I find myself quoting him a lot lately. If you <laughs> want to do something evil, hide it inside of something boring. Yeah. Because most people don't know they were screwed. Yeah. By the banks. And the well, it's because they introduced these false papers. So some of these properties have been sold on again since. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, it can affect a down chain. A down as well chain. as yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. And it's ridiculous. Um, I think during the CASA update, we talked about Philadelphia. Yeah. I think. Okay. So this will be interesting. Um, they passed a soda tax. I don't know if anybody knows that. But, uh, yeah. So this is about Philadelphia's new soda tax because, you know, uh, this is from Watchdog News. <clears throat> Ken Klein worries that Philadelphia's new tax on soda literally will drive customers away from his grocery store and out into the suburbs. 
most people have cars and they're going to get in their cars and go six miles up the hill and go to the stores there says client co-owner of client supermarket in fairmount which has been in business since the late 1980s uh, neighborhood grocery stores once ubiquitous part of any big city are struggling to survive against competition from larger grocery store chains and big box stores in philadelphia the city council just made things even harder for businesses like klein's by voting 13 to 4 on Thursday to make Philadelphia the first major city in the country with a tax on soda and other sugary beverages. Uh, opponents of the tax, like Klein, point out that it's really a grocery tax that will add to the cost of soda, yes, but also fruit drinks, sweetened iced tea, and juices that contain less than 50% real fruit. The 1.5 cent per ounce tax would add about a dollar to the price of two liter soda and more than two dollars to a cost of 12 pack canned soda. Uh, consumers will be able to dodge the tax by shopping outside the city lines, but businesses in Philadelphia can't drive to the suburbs, at least not as easily. The city expects to generate $91 million annually from the new tax, with about half of the money funding an expansion of pre-K programs in a city where K-12 education is widely considered to be in terrible shape. Um, so... Uh, the rest of the money flow will be divvied up among the city's parks, economic development programs, and disability benefits for municipal employees, among other things. But by the third year the tax is in place, about 30% of the revenue would flow to the city's fund balance, meaning it could be used for almost anything. Kenny initially wanted a $0.03 cents per ounce tax, but the city council reduced the levy with a preliminary vote earlier this month. The only other city with a tax on soda is notoriously liberal berkeley california which imposed a one cent per ounce tax late last year in philadelphia critics of the tax have said the city's poor will carry the heaviest burden anyone with the means to leave the city to do shopping will have another incentive to do so but the fight over soda tax isn't going to end with the passage of the city's ordinance opponents of the tax including small businesses like Kleins, but also the city's teamsters union and great trade groups like american beverage association and the Pennsylvania Restaurant Association are viewing their options for a court challenge. The tax is unconstitutional, said Philadelphians Against the Grocery Tax, an umbrella coalition of opponents in a statement. That's why we will take this fight to the courts. Not really a surprise, but I mean, they're pinning their hopes on people drinking a lot of soda when okay. if you're really poor, soda maybe isn't the best choice and water is free. Well, well right. I'll get this out of the way first. Okay. Won't this, won't this force lots of kids to move with to, with their aunt and uncle to Bel Air? Um, can I get soda? Off to another. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Um, you're reading that, and the song was running through my head. Um, but yeah, the UK, they're bringing in a sugar tax. Oh, and as usual, health groups, yeah, oh, spouting nonsense. Oh, yeah, and this apple juice uh, you can get in the supermarket. You know, one portion has 12 grams of sugar. So that's more than you get in such and such and such and such. And then, and then somebody else pointed out, you know, a nutritionist went, 12 grams of uh, sugar. Yeah, that's almost the same as they'd get for the similar. In fact, it's identical. <laughs> Who'd have thought it's identical to the amount you'd get from an actual apple? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they, they just can't help themselves. Well, I mean, they can't help themselves. The whole reason we're being taxed to shit is because these fucking governments can't live within a damn budget. 
They can't live within their freaking means. They promise the world to the people that come to work for them. You know, they let them get away with murder. They don't fire them when they screw up, unlike anybody else who doesn't work for the state or the city or the federal government. You know, the federal government who reviewed itself and gave itself a 99% awesome fucking grade on the job they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a lot of problems with these people passing these bills, pinning their hopes and dreams on the fact that, oh, the I, normal I, guy is going to dig us out. I the poor person is going to dig us out. I love the overall optimistic. Oh, we're going to get this much from this tax. Yeah, like, you're yeah, no, you're not. No, you're not. No. None of those predictions on any tax has ever been right anywhere in the world at any time. No. I, you, you'll, You're I lucky if you get 5% of what's usually stated. These. I can't, you know, and these people are idiots because people are just going to buy a fucking soda stream yeah. machine and, and use it. Or and as, as the guy not? said, they'll Drive take like a weekly, they'll, even people who don't have cars, they'll do a weekly shop instead. And just buy big packs out, sure. out of town. Go uh, mm -hmm. go to the big out of town supermarket. Sure. Buy you know. buy the big multi packs. I mean, you know, honestly, I see the government doing these things, and I'm like, did you not learn from prohibition? Which yeah. they obviously didn't. No. When prohibition started, they called it the Great Experiment. It was the worst time in our history, and it wasn't about taxation. It was no. a moral response. And all of these taxes that are meant for our own good are against poorer people, the poorer people in society, people who make choices that rich elite people don't have to make when it comes to dinner or to having the energy to go through a 15 hour shift. This doesn't apply to them, you know, um, and <laughs> they're never going to make the money they want because you know the middle class has become the new working poor and we've carried the rich on our backs for a long freaking time oh and they always talk about all oh, these taxes are gonna you know relieve the tax you know relieve mm -hmm. the, oh. the the debt in the cities and all this kind of shit it's like you wouldn't have all this debt if you didn't keep having big dinners for rich people <laughs> that really don't need them uh <laughs> You know, I mean, every every city in the world does this. Right. Well, <laughs> they I put mean, on these lavish, big events mm -hmm. and invite rich people who don't pay to go. And mm -hmm. it's like, who are these events for exactly? Oh, it's for you to show off and think you're a big <laughs> shot. And you know, public sculptures. Or you know, they'll they'll the oh yeah, pu public art is really important for the community. And then they put some weird sculpture, and nobody understands in a. <laughs> In a rundown neighborhood where well, the people couldn't give a shit. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. If arts really mattered to the poor people, you wouldn't have cut them out of public schooling. Yeah. And they have here. They've cut everything out of public schooling they can. I know people who are teachers who buy and bring their own, their own supplies, their own paper, their own pencils, their own pens, chalk, erasers, everything to the school building. So they can continue to teach these children. Now, I mean, I, I'm actually not a big fan of the government in any way, shape, or form, but Jesus. Uh, what a way to what a way to educate people. To take yeah. everything away from them, tell them they make bad choices, 
you know, take more of their disposable income so they're living a shittier quality of life and then be surprised when people go, fuck it, I'll go out of town or I'll make my own or whatever. You know, I think people are sick to death of being told they're being taxed for their own good. They're being told how to live for their own good. There's a certain thing, yeah, such yeah, thing mean, as the quality of life. Some taxes make sense and people grumble about them, but mm -hmm. they kind of know it's necessary. Like, you know, um, public roads need to be paid for, so a certain proportion of tax. Yep, gives us roads. Fine. People can deal with that, but yeah, telling them, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna tax the food you're eating because that food you're eating isn't isn't what we want you to eat. So we're gonna tax the stuff you're eating. Well, it's like it's the only stuff I can afford. Piss off. Well, it it goes in in increments too. It, it starts yeah. with cigarettes and alcohol, and then it moves on to sugar and food and. You know, pretty soon it'll be, you know, people who watch violent horror films or what have you. I mean, you know. You, you know, the like... last the last thing that will be, uh, that will, one of the, one of the last things that will be taxed, corn syrup. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, your your country syrup... has an obsession with corn syrup that yeah, well, Europe really we... doesn't understand. Yeah, but it's not just that. I mean, if you looked at the sugar situation, the amount of subsidies we give the sugar growers in this country is ridiculous. It is fucking ridiculous. Well, yeah, that, I mean, don't that, get me that's wrong. what sugar makes it doubly ridiculous. Sugar growers are getting these huge subsidies, but food manufacturers aren't actually using the sugar. They're using corn syrup. <laughs> it's like, where's all the sugar going? <laughs> Uh, we're buying it to put in our food since they've started cutting it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the uh, so, UK especially is still... Yeah, you, you've got a state on labels that it's corn syrup, not sugar and stuff. You and know, certain I, things they're not allowed to call it a sweetener. Sure. Because <laughs> it isn't. Want, <laughs> well, no. it is, but it's very yeah. unhealthy. Mm -hmm. I did want to ask you if you heard about the M&M Mars thing. No. Did you did you see like they've been being pestered and badgered by the World Health Organization and a bunch of other things and they're going around saying we're going to show you what like a serving size of our stuff is like and oh, right, you shouldn't yeah, yeah. you shouldn't eat our food every single day. And yeah, now that, that was reported to you to, a few months ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're going to start pulling their products out of like you used to be able to go to McDonald's and get a McFlurry with Mars candy bar in it. They're yeah. going to pull their stuff out of there. They're going to reformulate their products to like use less sugar and have a higher serving size. So that should be really interesting. And yeah. I think, I might be wrong, but I think after they've got plain packaging on all tobacco, they're going to come after all food. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the next okay. one's definitely going to be sugar. We know that from the, what they're saying already. Of course. And then after that, it'll probably be caffeine, maybe. Uh, you know, I'm really looking forward salt, to the time where lost, I get. To, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the time when I get to live wrapped in bubble wrap, eat a thin gruel, and have my nourishing water for the day, because that's all I'll be able to afford. That, that'll be—is that Pepsi water or Coke water? Oh no, no, that'll just be freaking sewer water with my luck. Um, okay. <laughs> that is Pepsi water. No, uh, never. <laughs> 
Okay. I said we we're going to talk about Pop-Tart Boy. And we're going to talk about Pop-Tart Boy. I think everybody can remember Pop-Tart Boy. The, the innocent little child that chewed his pastry into the shape of a gun. So we're going to talk about him tonight. Uh, uh, judge upholds suspension of student who chewed pastry into the shape of a gun. Maryland judge has upheld the suspension of an elementary school boy who chewed his breakfast pastry into the shape of a gun and pretended to shoot his classmates, supporting a finding that the boy disrupted his class and that his family was not denied due process as it appealed what has become known as the Pop-Tart case. Uh, Annie Andrewell, County Circuit Court Judge Ronald A. Stillworth, ruled that the school system could reasonably consider the boy's actions in March 2013 were disruptive and that a suspension was appropriately used as a corrective tool to address this disruption based on the student's past history of exasperating behavioral issues, according to his 11-page ruling. He upheld an earlier ruling that supported the two-day suspension from the Maryland State Board of Education. Silkworth's opinion comes in a case that has attracted national attention and inspired legislative efforts to pursue to pursue limited punishments for certain kinds of school misbehavior. Florida passed a bill in 2014 to limit zero tolerance practices at schools, including discipline for banishing partially consumed pastry or other food items to simulate a weapon. The case started less than three months after the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newton, Connecticut, at a time of heightened sensitivity about guns in schools. A string of D.C. area children were suspended around the time for imaginary or toy guns. The father of the suspended boy in Maryland said he is considering the next steps, but remains interested in clearing his son's record. The boy, who was seven at the time of the incident, is now 11 and is competing, completing fifth grade this week. It's a mark on his record for something that doesn't need to be there, said William B.J. Welch, the boy's father, who voiced concerns about lasting consequences of disciplinary measures. There's just a lot of unknowns, and I don't want something that could potentially debilitate his future. The boy was suspended when he was in second grade at Annie Adul's Park Elementary School. According to school officials, the child nibbled his breakfast bar into the shape of a gun and exclaimed, Look, I made a gun. He then allegedly aimed the pastry at other students at their desks and in a nearby hallway. He aimed the pastry at other students at their desks and in a nearby hallway. I am repeating it because it's sticking in my head. He aimed the pastry. Okay. <clears throat> but county officials have long maintained that the suspension was not about guns or pastries. The boy was disciplined for repeated disruptions, and his two-day punishment was a last resort after a series of behavioral problems. The state board agreed in February 2015. The student in this case had a long history of behavioral problems that were the subject of progressive intervention by the school, the state board wrote at the time. He created a classroom disruption on March 1, 2013, which resulted in a suspension that was justified based on the incident in question and the student's history. Any Ardrule County school officials said the judge's decision to uphold the suspension again shows that the school system acted appropriately in this case. We have believed from the onset that the actions of the school staff were not only appropriate and consistent with the Board of Education policies and school system regulations, but in the best interest of all students. He aimed the pastry at other students, said Bob Mosier, a school system spokesman. 
It's unfortunate that the character of those staff members has been called into question throughout this long process, but we are grateful that Judge Stillworth reaffirmed the validity of their actions. He aimed a pastry at other students. <clears throat> Robin Flicker, the family's attorney, said the court ruling was disappointing and he continues to see the suspension as an overreaction. There was no physical injury, and I think they should be able to deal with a seven-year-old in-house, he said. I hope the school system will think twice about putting kids out of school instead of just dealing with minor discipline problems. It would be different if this was a 17-year-old and he was threatening physical harm. Flicker has handled 10 student discipline cases involving toy or imaginary guns since Sandy Hook. All except for the Annie and Drool case have led to school officials clearing student records, he said. The family has maintained that their attorney should have been able to cross-examine the assistant principal who met with the boy's father on the day of suspension. Walsh has said there was no mention of ongoing problems at that meeting, but rather a focus on the child pointing the pastry, pointing the pastry at others as if it were a gun. The judge ruled that because the matter was an administrative proceeding, the school principal's testimony and other evidence were sufficient. He pointed a fucking pastry at someone. We've gone around the fucking bend, folks. Well, you know, it could have been worse. He could have thrown his juice box into a crowd of kids shouting grenade. He pointed a pastry at people. We've actually flipped so far around the bend from being normal human beings to being scared to death of our own fucking shadows that you can't point a pastry at someone without suspending someone. Oh, look, I made a... It's a fucking pastry. Hey, school, school I went to... Literally, you. I bet the only things that get you suspended, swearing, and repeatedly swearing, that'd get you suspended. Uh, but you know, we we had people break people's arms who who didn't get suspended. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. the modern era. <laughs> it's it's fucking scary right now. It's like we've gone from one extreme to the other. We've gone from. Normal people who could settle a fight with each other yeah. by literally going outside and resorting to, I guess they call it fisticuffs, right? You could get into a physical fight with somebody, and at the end of the day, it was done. You know, there was none of this, I'm going to bring a gun to school and kill somebody. There was none of this, you pointed a pastry at me. Oh, my God, you, you scared me to death with your fucking breakfast pastry. Yeah, that, that was the other thing I was going to bring up. What if he'd taken, like... A, a, a pop gun to school and pointed that at somebody. Zero but tolerance, you're not allowed. team you would, would, would have been in, probably. maybe? Kids have been arrested for that. You're not allowed to <laughs> even have, like, army soldiers now, from what I understand. You know, the little green uh, yeah. men? Army men, kinda, yeah. Yeah, you're not even allowed to have them for, like, show and tell in a lot of places now because, you know, they teach violence. Kids aren't allowed to use the word gun. Really? They're not allowed to use They're, the fucking word gun. It they teaches have violence. Have, have none of these people watched television and film then? So you, know, right. you, can't, you can't take a toy soldier to school because it, it teaches violence. Yeah, I, I'm it's like, yeah, if you've seen television, mate. Um, I'm, the news. I'm, Kid watches the news. <laughs> he's going to see a lot of violence. I think he's going to learn more from that than from playing with a toy soldier. Um, I've got to say, I'm sick to the ears of this fucking society. Yeah. It, it is not the world I grew up in, and I do not like what it's turning into. And if you've got kids so brainwashed they can't say the word gun, 
one and of the one of the big problems is they go to college is, now and yeah. you say something and hurt their feelings they got to go cower in a corner one with a the, fucking teddy bear and cry one of the you big, have a real problem yeah. with the way you're raising kids i'm sorry go ahead the, uh, yeah huge quantity in the 60s and 70s huge quantities of people were trained to be social sciences right you know so mm. and and these people then needed jobs and this is what you get from that you know have lots of people trying to mold society uh, into this but, but, weird thing but, but um, they're breaking it yeah i mean it, they're breaking it they people people will analyze a joke now before deciding whether or not to laugh at it and they will jump on you for saying it whether that's racist that's sexist that's terrible you know um people get together collectively and decide what idea they're supposed to have and they expound on that that's terrifying that's yeah. borg mentality that's herd animals that's animals that are left to be slaughtered by animals that are bigger and stronger and less scared of the world than them. We're going to have people that are completely unable to fucking cope because of these people. Yeah. Well, we already know this. Safe well, zones and we colleges. See it. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think... He said something best... I don't agree with. That's an invasion of my personal space. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> We've seen teacher, we've seen college professors get fired for having an idea. My, this my, my is solution would be any 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 person at school or college who goes to a counselor with that sort of complaint just gets kicked out of the school straight away. It's like you're a moron. Piss <laughs> off. Well, if you can't I, deal with somebody's language. <laughs> Then you're not you. You do not have the brain capacity to actually be a proper student. Get it? What's even that would be my is, opinion. I mean, th this is how bad education is getting. I'm saying we're doing a terrible job raising our kids, but we're not. I, I don't have kids, okay? So I can't judge you. you. You have to send your kids to a public school. They have them for longer than you every day, and they have a lot of influence over them. And they're going to turn out in whatever way the teachers mold them. That should be scary to you because they're taught how to teach now, what to teach, and what to emphasize. And they're drugging kids for doing things that were, when I was a kid, just normal. Yeah, I'm just glad I went to school. seeking behavior yeah. or boredom. I'm glad I went to school when I did. My teachers were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> my teachers weren't crazy, but my teachers were pretty normal, I think. Um there really was none of this and you know i also went to school in a time where you know they had clay pigeon shooting that was something yeah. they offered at the middle school you know and a lot of kids did it you grew up in an era and an area where there was a lot of farmland and those kids generally speaking are raised differently than city kids are or suburb kids i was gonna say see see one of the biggest preoccupations in my sort of from nine years old till I was about 14 mm -hmm. you know what I spent most weekends doing no running around the woods playing soldier <laughs> nothing to do with the school nothing to do with the parents the kids just all decided <laughs> let's have our own war games in the woods 
you know. We were uh, digging pits and <laughs> underground bases and all sorts of shit. Um, you couldn't do that now. No. Parents would go to jail for that. Letting kids play outside alone. Yeah. I, I no, mean, we, we, we weren't just outside on our own. We were like, you know, playing, wandering off five feet, miles feet away from two. where we lived yeah. up in the hills. You know what? I had to be home when it was dark, you know, yep. and that's if I had time to go outside and play or screw around with my friends or yeah, do whatever. Yeah, the hell my, my, did. my dad learned that one the hard way. You've got to be home by the time it's dark. Quickly <laughs> morphed into, you've got to be home by X o'clock. Because, <laughs> yeah, Scotland, as yeah. I say solstice today it didn't get dark until you know <laughs> half past 11 at night so <laughs> so it's it's yeah but you know it was a very different world and i think you had more well-rounded human beings everybody yeah. has two sides right well you certainly knew if you certainly knew if somebody swore at you or said something you didn't like you, you didn't panic yeah. cry and run away <laughs> well um, actually you you do have two legs and if something offends you you can just walk the fuck away and keep your opinion to yourself you know what i mean that's I'm, I'm in scotland. the hallmark of if, being an adult I, th I think scotland will be one of the last places on earth that that particular problem comes up because yeah <laughs> here somebody says something that offends you half the time you end up laughing <laughs> or punching but, them but well <laughs> i mean i don't know why it's so different here but um Actually, I kind of do. Um, if anybody is all at all interested, there's a lot of stuff online about R versus K theory. And it's a theory of how bacteria live. Some live like herd animals, like rabbits, and some don't live like that. Some live like with the ability to form groups and attack and work cooperatively it's just it's it's some really interesting stuff so i mean if you're interested it's out there to look at and i can honestly say i think i see a lot of that in society you know oh and, and as, as for the problem with the yeah kids growing up to be namby pamby idiots um <laughs> all the people who work in social sciences and who teach all that kind of stuff um and who are the ones who've come up with all these stupid rules that mean pop tart kid got suspended, right? Um, the one true ring kid, remember him? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> all of them before they're allowed to participate in working in the schools, setting policies, they should all have to go and work for a year in the third world, <laughs> and then come back and see if they still have these nutty ideas that. Oh, the that that speech could cause harm. It's like, yeah, your priorities are so way out. <laughs> you know, and it's not just me. I mean, I put a quote up on Facebook the other day, and it, it was pretty interesting. It was written by a, a Supreme Court justice, and it was a speech he gave about three years before, um, before we had the grand experiment with prohibition. And what was surprising to me was the amount of not just conservative people I knew who agreed with this, but I have a lot of friends who are really artsy. I have a lot of friends who are goths, who are really subculture people, and I have a lot of friends now that I'm an adult who aren't like that, and so many of them agreed with it, and I'm, I'm going to read it. We have developed a mania for regulating people. 
We forbid not only evil practices, but we are beginning to lay the restraining hand of the law upon practices that are at the most only doubtful character. We not only infrequently to but we not infrequently fail to distinguish between crimes and vices, and we are beginning to almost pull in the category along with vices and offensive habits any behavior which happens to differ from our own. And that was written by Supreme Court Justice George Sutherland three years before prohibition came into play. And I think there's a couple comedians who make a, a really good distinction in saying it starts with them controlling physically the things you do. You can't smoke here, you can't drink here, you can't go here. And then it moves on to the control of language and the control of your thoughts with things that are politically correct to say. And it, it makes it hard to function in a society that puts you in a box. And that's exactly what I see them doing with children. And I see them to an even greater extent doing that with adults and older adults. Every older adult is thought of as a racist, sexist, homophobe, and that's not really true. You know, you kind of are a product of your time, but you used to be able to handle differing opinions without yelling and screaming that someone was a criminal and they were oppressing you and they were this and they were that. I don't really see that anymore. And it kind of scares me <laughs> because what's left to control, right? When you've controlled physical movement and you've controlled the thought process, what else is there for the people that would engineer society to control. Well, well, we can look at an example of this, actually. China. <laughs> so, yeah, China's done all these things. Mm -hmm. And now backing up and getting rid of a lot of that shit. Because it just doesn't work. <laughs> like, you know, their one-child policy. They've backed off on it. Because, yeah, it was very successful. It's, it stopped their population overgrowth. Now they're going to have a population shortage and too many old people. Back well, to the old I mean, people again. So, yeah, <laughs> but they're they're backing off on a lot of their social policies because, yeah, yeah, while it seemed to work, it did in the short term. Where short term is 50 years, obviously. <laughs> but then it's all going to shit. So they're like, oh, no, right, repeal that, change this, do <laughs> Because you know, yeah, I mean, we haven't we have an actual example of what social engineering does, China, and they're backing off on it all because it just it's it's it hasn't caused the country to fall apart yet, but if they'd kept mm -hmm. it up, yeah, China would have been in real deep shit. <laughs> well, I I think social engineering, urban planning, and many of those things are a failure on a huge level. People are, yeah, this is a problem. You can try social engineering. Unfortunately, there's people involved. People are <laughs> organic heuristic systems and will uh, never react in exactly the way you expect them to. Well, I mean, even AI can't predict what you'll like or what you don't like. Yeah. Okay. Um, I went off on a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> Does anybody remember last week when we talked about the air? The Air Force files. Uh huh. They found them. Sofas. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Back of the sofa had to be. Of course. The lost uh, investigation files have been found, the Air Force says. The U.S. Air Force has, has recovered 100,000 Inspector General investigations dating back to 2004. In a short four-sentence statement released midday on Wednesday, service officials said the Air Force continues to investigate the embarrassing incident in which the files and their backups were corrupted. Through extensive data recovery efforts over the weekend and this week, the Air Force has been able to regain access to the data in the Air Force Inspector General Automated Case Tracking System Act's statement read. Earlier on Wednesday, the Air Force Chief of Staff said the efforts to recover the files invoiced Lockheed Martin and Oracle, the two defense contractors that run the database, plus Air Force Cyber and Cyber Defense crime personnel. They've been working nonstop since they got called uh, here a few days ago, General Mark Welsh said at a defense writers group breakfast. Once the database is deemed stable, it will be brought back online. The statement said, hopefully we'll be able to get the data recovered and there won't be a long-term impact other than making sure we understand exactly what happened, how it happened, and how we keep it from ever happening again. Lockheed lost the data last month. Air Force leaders at the Pentagon were not told about the incident until June 6th. The Air Force went public with the incident late last Friday. Air Force Secretary Deborah Lee James, who was scheduled to get an update on the data recovery effort this morning, was directed an indep- has directed an independent review of the incident. Lockheed is also conducting an internal review, Welsh said. Hmm. You know, remember when the mania was going to computer systems so that we would save paper? Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, Those files have to be backed up, though. Yeah, but, yeah, any of these big structures that say they've lost data, right? They're they're always talking bullshit anyway. Because, right, data recovery from hard disks, old magnetic hard disks, they can do it from hard disks that have failed, have write errors, mm-hmm. uh, have been exposed to excessive heat, magnetic fields. They can still get data off these hard drives. So when they say... Oh, the system broke and we've lost all the data. Yeah, yeah. as in this case, yeah, it's because you haven't tried recovering it, you assholes. Because <laughs> yeah, I help people refurbish old computers. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's one of the things I do in my spare time. Mm-hmm. And my flatmate, one of his computers, the hard drive failed. Right. Um, I recovered ninety percent of his data from that hard drive. Well, I and that's mean, just using stuff available to me, which is basically free software. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I think government guys can manage a bit better. I I don't know about that. I mean, I'm pretty sure that some of the stuff that went missing went missing for a reason. Oh yeah, right? but it yeah, was the, just the other easier caveat to take is, and grab it if all. you had if you had any freedom of information requests or legal stuff to do with the Air Force that covers that period, please, please ensure that you contact them with your written copies of any documentation (laughs) to make sure it's not your case that's (laughs) gone missing. Yep. Yeah, and that was a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it was the FOIA stuff. 
requests. I mean, and I don't know if anybody's ever tried to fill out an FOIA request. It's not easy. I, I will recommend if you're going to do them, a handy dandy little thing on the internet is called FOIA machine, right? And you fill out your request there and it gives you if you wanted to contact the police department and ask about drones, it gives you the specific form and shows you how to fill it out. Tequila really, may also be useful. <laughs> yeah, but it really is helpful because every government agency wants them turned in in so many different ways. Yeah, they they all. Yeah, it's, it's one of the games they play. Mm -hmm. We need to request to be worded in a particular way in this order. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Well, so it's the usual bureaucratic legal speak bullshit. Of course it is. It's like we can ignore it if you get one word wrong in the, <laughs> you know, in the order. It's like, uh huh, piss off. Give me the information. So I, I've actually got uh, like a big chunk of FBI stuff. So I think <laughs> I think I think we're just this will be the uh, FBI portion, and then I'll come back and start ripping Democrats a new asshole. <clears throat> FBI is now pushing for warrantless access to internet browsing history. The amendment would apply in terrorism and national security cases, but critics warn against the expansion of powers. The Obama administration is pushing to amend existing privacy law in a way that critics argue would allow the government to access internet browsing histories and other metadata without needing a warrant. An amendment to the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, EPCA, set to be considered by the Judiciary Committee on Thursday will allow the FBI to subpoena records associated with Americans' online communications, so-called electronic communication transactional records, with the use of national security letters, which don't require court approval. That would allow federal agents to access phone logs, email records, cell site data used to pinpoint locations, as well as accessing a list of visited websites. Senator John Cornyn, a Republican of Texas, who introduced the amendment, said the change was necessary to prevent needlessly hamstringing our counterintelligence and counterterrorism efforts. Uh, under existing laws, national security letters can get access to all kinds of metadata, but not the contents of calls, emails, and other messages but they don't permit the collection of website addresses or internet search queries. That said, the FBI is said to have secret interpre interpretations allowing it to collect web histories in some cases. That's a problem for FDI, FBI Director James Carmory, who lives in an artificially crazy storyland storybook where everything he asks for can be done by tech companies and any information he wants he can get, uh, even when it's illegal. <clears throat> who called the omission to the provision in the original law a typo, arguing that it affects our work in a very big and practical way, he told members of the Senate Intelligence Committee in February. Uh, or, as EFF staff attorney Andrew Cocker explained in a blog post, the FBI thinks it is already entitled to get these records using national security letters, and Congress simply messed up when it drafted the law. But the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel found in 2008 that the FBI was wrong. That's why the FBI is making a push for change in the law, making it the second such push in a decade. Those privacy advocates are back, and they bought with them key allies from the tech industry, including Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo, which were among dozens of signatures on an open letter to the Obama administration asking the government to drop the attempt. 
we would oppose any version of these bills that included such a proposal expanding the government's ability to access private data without a court order, says the open letter dated Monday. The civil liberties and human rights concerns associated with such expansions are compounded by the government's history of abusing NSL authorities, it adds. But national security letters will still face some level of scrutiny thanks to provision in the Freedom Act, which replaced parts of the controversial Patriot Act, which allows secret demands for customer data to be periodically reviewed. Leading senior senators have rejected the amendment and will instead push for the EPCA reforms dubbed the Email Privacy Act, which was passed by the House earlier this year. And the FBI, shockingly, had no comment. Well, I've, I've said it before, they seem determined to piss off the tech companies. Mm-hmm. And just how well will the FBI run if Microsoft, Google, and Apple, which uh, are they are well within their rights to go, we are no longer supporting any of our products run by the FBI. So, no Microsoft support. No Apple support. <laughs> their, their tech could just fall to pieces. <laughs> Well, I mean, shit, they can go Well, it out falls to pieces anyway, but it falls right, to pieces but, a lot faster. Yeah, but they can go out and get a witch doctor and an advocate and run just fine. <laughs> In fact, I would prefer that would be the method they fucking use. Go get a witch doctor, go get an advocate, and, and just sit there with your little beads on a string and count your stuff and ask the witch doctor to, you know, sacrifice some chickens and dance in a fucking circle See, and the, maybe you'll the, get what you the want. Problem, the problem is the likes of the FBI and the rest of the government. They're so used to getting what they want from the military-industrial complex, and it's been an intimate partnership. They expect the tech companies to behave in the same way, and the tech companies just keep telling them to piss off. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) yeah, I think it is going to come to the point where lots of these tech companies are going to stop supporting anything that's been bought from them that's run by government agencies. They'll just go, right, you've bought it, right, nothing to do with us anymore. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure they'll find some somebody out there to support their product. But <laughs> Good pro- luck with that. <laughs> okay. the, the only people are probably in hackers in China and South Korea. and Yeah, and those Chinese hackers are trustworthy. What if yeah. they, they pulled out 50 million Bitcoin yeah. Out of an account this weekend to prove that they could. Yep. I mean that you know. Oh yeah, you think blockchain is so secure? Look at what we did. Yeah, and in fact, it was secure four or five years ago, but technology moves on. It does. So, yeah. Okay. FBI has four hundred and eleven million photos in its facial recognition system, and a federal watchdog isn't happy. The watchdog said it had concerns regarding both the effectiveness of the technology and the protection of privacy and individual civil liberties. The FBI has amassed more than 411 million photos as part of its vast facial recognition database, according to a government watchdog, which in a new report criticized the system for its lack of safeguards and protections. This includes millions of individuals driving license photos, as well as photos of foreigners applying for visas and criminal mugshots. But the Government Accountability Office criticized the FBI in a new report published Wednesday, saying that the agency had not properly tested the system or balanced civil liberty <clears throat> Hang on. or balanced civil liberties. <clears throat> yeah, which 
of course, we know it didn't. Why would it? There's no need for it to do that, apparently, because your civil liberties don't really matter to the FBI. <clears throat> the system kicked into operations in early 2015 after what appeared to be a relatively successful pilot. Agents would feed in a photo and the database would spring back between two and no more than 50 images of suspects, leading the agent to make the final call on who the suspect might be. But the government accounting office argued there's no way to determine whether or not the returned images are any more accurate than the number of images rejected by the system. This could lead to potentially innocent individuals identified that could be bought in for questioning, which the report said if false positives are, are returned at a higher than acceptable rate, law enforcement users may waste time and resources pursuing unnecessary investigative leads. In one paragraph, the GAO said the FBI's reliance on third-party data, which the agency can't vouch for accuracy, could lead to mis-investigative leads. The FBI has entered into agreements to search and access external databases, including millions of U.S. citizens' driver's licenses and passport photos. But until the FBI officials can assure themselves that the data they receive from external partners are reasonably accurate and reliable, it is unclear whether such agreements are beneficial to the FBI and do not unnecessarily include photos of innocent people as investigative leads. In other words, the system, as it stands, opens up the possibility of automating a process of picking out faces that have nothing to do with an investigator, opening up the livelihood that the likelihood that innocent people may be drawn in as suspects in ongoing criminal matters. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, which was cited in the report on its blog following the reporter's release, that its findings were shocking. Over and over, the FBI's secret data collection practices confirm why we need more transparency, not less. In the coming weeks, we'll be asking you to sign on to our comments on the FBI proposal, said Senior Staff Attorney Jennifer Lynch. The Justice Department said it disagreed with half of the recommendations the watchdog made. So it only disagreed with half. Yeah. Well, yeah. That it, yet again, yeah. The, I don't, government are, do not have a good track record of writing very good software. Or, should I say, getting outside contractors to write them decent software. And, yeah, I... I bet there's a, a huge chunk of false positives whenever they hmm. do a search. Because, um, I mean, you can do it as an experiment yourself. Mm -hmm. You find a photo on a website and do... and go to one of the reverse image search websites and try and find other places that image appears. And you get shed loads of completely spurious results. Right. Um... That's what their software is going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Unless they have spent a shit ton of money on it. Which, incidentally, these reverse image search companies have already done and it still doesn't work properly. So, yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's kind of what they do. Yeah. Uh, okay. And for story number three, because, you know, this show is so fun. It's, it's so fun. Um... <clears throat> this is about the utility poles. Remember we talked about them a while ago? And yeah. I, I don't, nobody really got upset about Strange it. Strange new boxes appearing on poles near you. Yeah. yeah, which, you know, if you look up, you can see them. They're not exactly concealed, and they don't look like the other telephone poles, utility poles around you. 
be wary, folks. Be wary because it isn't just the FBI using them. It's or, ATF. Or you don't have to be wary of them. Just tell your neighbours all buy Halloween masks and all <laughs> go and take turns standing staring up at the camera. <laughs> I, I guess you could do that. Okay. Uh, FBI says utility pole surveillance cam locations must be kept secret. Disclosure of even minor details about them may cause jeopardy. Well, you know, I've found 35 different reports from 35 different local news stations. I found you know, independent journalists covering this. So, yeah, whatever you do, don't talk about it. So, um, yeah, here we go. <clears throat> The U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation has successfully convinced a federal judge to block the disclosure of where the Bureau has attached surveillance cams on Seattle utility poles. The decision Monday stopping Seattle City Light from divulging the information was expected as claims of national security tend to trump the public's rights to know. However, this privacy dispute highlights a powerful and clandestine tool the authorities are employing across the country to snoop on the public sometimes with warrants, sometimes without. Just last month, for example, this power surveillance measure, which sometimes allows the authorities to control the camera's focus point remotely, helps crack a sex trafficking ring in suburban Chicago. Meanwhile, in stopping the release of the Seattle surveillance cam location information in a Public Records Act case request bought by activist Phil Moick, U.S. District Judge Richard Jones agreed with the FBI's contention that releasing the data would harm national security. If the protected information is released, the United States will not be able to obtain its return. The confidentiality of the protected information will be destroyed and the recipients will be free to publish it or post the sensitive information wherever they choose, including the Internet, whether it would harm federal law enforcement operational interests as well as personal privacy of innocent third parties, Jones said. Peter Wynn, U.S. District Attorney in Seattle, won the injunction after telling Judge Jones that the FBI's use of the poll camera technique is a powerful tool in the FBI investigation of criminal violations and national security threats. Disclosure of even minor details about them may cause jeopardy in important federal interests because, much like a jigsaw puzzle, each detail may aid adversaries in piecing together information about the capabilities, limitations, and circumstances of equipment use and would allow law enforcement subjects or national security adversaries to accumulate information and draw conclusions about the FBI's use of technology in order to evade effective lawful investigation by the FBI. The deployment of such video cameras appears to be widespread. What's more, the Seattle authorities aren't saying whether they have obtained court warrants to install the surveillance cams, and the law, on the other hand, is murky at best. Consider that in February, an Ohio-based appeals court upheld the firearms conviction of a Tennessee man whose brother's rural farm was monitored for 10 weeks straight by a remote-controlled camera that the authorities installed on a utility pole 200 yards away without a warrant. That ruling conflicted with one issued by a Washington state federal judge who in 2014 tossed an alleged drug dealer's conviction that was gained under the same circumstances. The warrantless spying on a suspect via a webcam attached to a utility pole near his rural Washington state property. In May, the FBI dropped its appeal of that decision without providing any reason. Before abandoning its appeal, the government said 
that it had the right to deploy the webcam without a warrant because the device was on the public's right of way and was akin to a cop's observations from the street. The judge in the case, however, said the Fourth Amendment required that the police needed a warrant to spy. In an email to Ars Technica, Seattle City Attorney Spokeswoman Kimberly Mills declined to say whether the FBI obtained a warrant to install surveillance cams on Seattle light utility poles. The city is in litigation and we will have no further comment, she said. Mills suggested we speak with the FBI office in Seattle, and we did. Ayn Deitch Williams, an FBI spokeswoman in Seattle, said that given the ongoing litigation, it would not be appropriate for the FBI to comment. She pointed to Wynn's filing as a source of possible answers. In Wynn's brief, we discovered a link to the Attorney General's guidelines for domestic FBI operations. In the under particular methods section, there's this reference. Use of closed circuit direction finders and other monitoring devices subject to legal review by the Chief Division Counselor FBI Office of General Counsel. The methods described in this paragraph usually do not require court orders or warrants unless they involve physical trespass or non-consensual monitoring of communications, but legal review is necessary to ensure compliance with all applicable legal requirements. Moak told ours that as part of the utility pole cam investigation, I have learned nothing of related warrants or a lack thereof. Wynn, meanwhile, wrote to Judge Jones that the location information about the disguised surveillance cams should be withheld because the public might think they are an, quote, invasion of privacy. Because of their close proximity to the subjects of surveillance, unauthorized disclosure of the locations of current or previously installed pole cameras can reasonably be expected to constitute an unwarranted invasion of privacy for those persons under investigation who have not yet been charged. It can also reasonably be expected to constitute an unwarranted invasion of privacy of innocent third parties not under investigation, but geographically near current or past location of camera who may falsely be assumed to be the subject of an FBI investigation. When also revealed that the camera's locations could threaten the safety of FBI agents. Revelations of the subject of an FBI investigation by an authorized disclosure of a location of a current or previously installed poll can have a devastating impact on an investigator. Armed with such knowledge, a subject would not only be able to invade further investigation by the FBI, but would also be able to employ countermeasures to impede further investigation, such as destroying, hiding, or likewise concealing evidence, intimidating, retaliating against cooperating witnesses, or simply by fleeing the jurisdiction. Such disclosure would allow any individual other than the subject of an investigation who is intent on interfering with or thwarting an investigation to do so. As such, unauthorized disclosure of the location of a poll camera could threaten the safety of the FBI agents involved with the investigation. And if the cameras become publicly identifiable, when said, subjects of the criminal investigation and national security adversaries of the United States will know what to look for to discern whether the FBI is conducting surveillance in a particular location. Well, yeah, I mean, we're back to strange box appears on pole in the area. Yeah. Yeah. People in that area are going to know it's there. Yeah. So this, I, oh, if it becomes publicly identifiable, it is, because it it's is. in public and it's new. People will comment on it. Oh, look, there's a box up there. New po- you know. box up there on a pole with a camera in it. I wonder what that is. Oh, I came up, uh, I'm just putting it in chat now. I have another idea for neighbourhoods where the cameras are. 
Yeah. I think that one would work quite well, you know, that or the <laughs> masks. And and then of course more creatively you could use paintball guns. Well shoot at the Perspex window, cover it up with paint. They love that sort of thing. Now, you see, we have it I have there is experience of this previously. Right. In the UK we have lots of ANPR cameras. Mm-hmm. You know, speed speed cameras everywhere. Uh and when they started becoming common, websites sprung up giving people the locations of all the speed cameras. <laughs> the police and government tried to stop people having these websites using quite similar arguments, funnily enough, to what the FBI is doing. However, yeah, the judges didn't run with that. So now, yeah, I think it's in the UK, it's even on Google Maps, locations of speed cameras. Well, you know, <laughs> it's everywhere. I mean, they can't block, you know, they put in a new camera. Within, you know, days, the website's <laughs> update. Oh, there's another one here. That's well, what's going to happen with this. Here is here is a picture of. Well, I mean, you can. Oh yeah, the subtle, the really subtle. They're very yeah. subtle. Yeah. And you can hardly even see this one. You can hardly see the camera. Yeah. Um, that's what that looks like. Uh, a disguised one looks slightly different. Maybe As in, you. yeah, they put smoke glass in, so you can't obviously <laughs> see the camera. Camera. Yeah. So, that is what it, they It scares like. me that they haven't heard of the concept of pinhole cameras for these things. You know, what scares me is that the Fourth Amendment means fucking nothing to these people. That's like everything. Of course not. They're the government. Ev- they don't think the law applies to them. Well, it does apply to them, and it's supposed to. And what it's doing is creating for lazy fucking police work. And plus the fact, yeah, all the arguments they gave about reasons why it needs to be kept secret. Right. Mm-hmm. It's only going to be the dumb criminals they catch anyway. And those criminals were probably ones that were going to get caught anyway. Right. Because any saying... really good criminals, yet again, will spot. Oh, somebody's put a new box up on that pole. I wonder what that's about. You know, and ask I... around. But here's the thing. I'm not even... I'm not even, like, remotely interested in this stuff. Yeah. People should see it. People should see these things and and know what the government is doing. And here is a picture of one that has the lovely smoked glass in it, so you can't quite tell what it's looking at. And this is from a man whose workplace has been watched for, like, the past five years. So that's what they look like, folks. Yeah. So, you know, they're so, yeah, you can, you can, you can still, you can, you can just see where the camera's pointing. I know. And they're so subtle. You hardly even notice them. Yeah. They are not this great unknown thing. People know they exist. They talk about them online. They're there. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, but yeah, you have the FBI going, oh, we've got to keep it secret. Well, well, please. You can't put look it in at, public, then. <laughs> well, but look at their reaction to yeah. the Finn Fisher debacle. Look at their reaction to the dirt box debacle. Look yeah. at the FBI's face is completely red, and has been completely red for a really long time. Okay. But they basically, they basically seem to think they can put stuff out in public areas and nobody will notice. 
Well, I think they think we're all just attached to our phones, which, you know, kind of, but still. Uh, well, yeah, that's true, but on, on the counter side, because all phones now have cameras, people wander about taking photos of absolutely bloody everything. <laughs> so if they see a strange new box up on a pole, they'll take a quick snap of it and then go to their friends. Oh, have you seen this? What's yeah. that? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. yeah. I, but it's... It's just ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is like the listening devices that they planted at the courthouses. Yeah. Down there. I mean, right outside in a fucking potted plant. And no one was supposed to get bent about that? See, they should have been more subtle and done, like, you know, the, the MI6, got some of the MI6 rocks. Since the Russians had caught on to them. You know. We've all these listening rocks. <laughs> they, we could have sold them cheap. Oh, God. It's, this is ridiculous. Okay. Democrats embrace secretive flawed terror watch list in fight against gun violence. This is from The Intercept. Not exactly the um, viewpoint I expect from them, but there we go. Democratic leaders came out in force on Wednesday in favor of an, uh, a proposal to prohibit Americans who are on the federal government terror watch list from purchasing firearms. A group of Democratic senators waged a filibuster on the Senate floor. And after a presumptive GOP presidential nominee, Donald Trump, announced that he intends to meet with the powerful NRA to discuss a similar restriction, presumptive Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton welcomed him to the cause. For Democrats, however, the move amounts to a strong endorsement of a system that civil liberties advocates have called a Kafkaesque bureaucracy, and which some Democrats have previously criticized for being secretive, unaccountable, and discriminatory. Getting your name on a watch list is easier than getting it off, according to an interagency watchlisting guidelines. The Intercept published in 2014, it takes neither concrete facts nor irrefutable evidence to add someone's name as a terror suspect. The guidelines allow the administration to name individuals as representatives of terrorist groups they have no demonstrable connection to and put entire categories of people on the no-fly list. There was no way for anyone to know ahead of time if they were on the no-fly list until 2014 when a federal court ruled that the government had to inform citizens when they were placed on it but the Department of Homeland Security still refuses to tell people why or offer them a form of judicial redress. Before the September 11th attacks, the U.S. government only banned 16 people from flying on planes for their connection to terror groups. During the George W. Bush administration, the number swelled dramatically, leading to some high-profile embarrassments. In September in 20, 2004, Senator Ted Kennedy told a congressional committee that he had been stopped and questioned at airport security five times because his name appeared on the watch list. A Bush administration official told the Washington Post anonymously that T. Kennedy was a common terrorist alias. On the same day, a former civil rights activist, Representative John Lewis, Democrat of Georgia, announced that he had been held up for more than 35 times that year while trying to fly. It's a really interesting story about a little boy who's eight years old. It's not part of the story, and I'll go dig it up in a little bit and read it to you. Who had been on that list since he was about three and the shit he's gone through. But placement on the terror watch list can have far worse consequences than harassment at an airport security. 
Wyman Latin, a disabled U.S. Marine veteran who was wrongly placed on the list and later joined the ACLU in a lawsuit in response, was unable to get a Veterans Administration disability evaluation completed because he was blocked from flying from Egypt to the United States. As a result, his disability payments were reduced and he had to move to lower-cost housing, exacerbating the impact of his disability. Another Army veteran represented by the ACLU was stuck in Colombia for two years due to his inability to fly home. Individuals who have been placed on the government watch list have even been subject to extra scrutiny in the courts for cases completely unrelated to terrorism as their designation on the watch list can end up on their rap sheets for judges to see. The federal watch lists that compliers of rap sheets draw on for these notations are notoriously arbitrary and inaccurate. People are placed on these lists without ever being told why or given an opportunity to contest their listing, and the lists appear to focus disproportionately on individuals with Muslim-sounding names. Ramirez Kazim, an associate professor at CUNY School of Law, told The Intercept in March. In 2014, the Associated Press reported that more than 1.5 million names have been added to the various watch lists in the five years after Umar Farouk Abdullah colloquially known as the underwear bomber, failed to blow up an airplane over Detroit in 2009. Documents published by The Intercept in 2014 show that nearly half the people on the government's shared list of terror suspects are marked as having no recognized terror group affiliation. In April, the Council of American Islamic Relations of Michigan filed a class action lawsuit alleging the sweeping watch list system is arbitrary and discriminated against Muslims. One of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit was a seven-month-old infant whose mother was stopped at airport security while he was patted down, subject to chemical testing, and had his diapers searched, all because the baby's boarding pass labeled him as a known or suspected terrorist. In the past, some Democrats recognized these problems. Representative Sheila Jackson of Texas chaired a hearing on the watch list in 2008, saying that she was not very happy with the list that misidentifies individuals who innocently come to use the airlines to visit grandma to go on a family vacation, to try to make deadlines, to a funeral, and whatever else the airlines are used for. By December of that year, she was punishing, she was, okay, she was pushing the list to ban gun purchases. We're just asking for terrorists not to be able to walk into a gun shop and buy a gun, she said. Over the years, this list has grown to over 1.1 million entries. With so many different names on a list, it is not surprising that every single day, countless Americans are misidentified as terrorists. Representative Yvette Clark said in February 2009, but after the San Bernardino massacre and when House Republicans blocked action on a bill to ban gun purchases from those on the list past December, she tweeted out an article about how House Democrats exonerated the move. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it comes down to the fact that nobody's properly controlling the damn list. Well... <laughs> And also, also, the staff at the airport patting down the seven-month-old. They've done it. If it's a toddler, yeah. But they've Uh, done it to three-year-olds, to five-year-olds, to people that weren't born yet. The one one that really gets me is a baby. And you're like, really? You think it's a terrorist? If, if If your security staff are that dumb, well, we know they are. Here's yeah, the they need to be fired straight I away. I don't have a problem with the old school Democrats who are great on civil liberties, who are great on civil rights, 
who were great on your constitutional protections, most of them. I don't really have a problem with them. I have a problem with them being against something and then six months later swinging right around and supporting it. Yeah. This is ridiculous. This, this is a society that's going out of its way to point its fingers everywhere else for no good fucking reason. Yeah, when, when the most useful thing they can do with their fingers is pick their nose. Uh, it, it might free up some, you know, it might cl clear the airways and get some more oxygen to their brain. Um, it's ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is insanity. But yeah, I mean, I do agree. Yeah, somebody who has known terrorist aff affiliations shouldn't be able to legally buy a gun. That's fairly simple. That makes but sense. But yeah, it, it means having a list of people that is accurate and up-to-date, which of course they're not willing to do because it would involve having to pay people to yeah. actually investigate the names on the list. But they're not. They're just arbitrarily They're just throwing people on the list and nobody sure checks whether it's true or not. And those fusion yeah. centers, they're great for coming up with that. They, My God, they said, you know... People who support PETA were terrorists. Really? People who believed in lower taxation are terrorists. Great. You know, so basically, me and every person I know could, by fiat, end up on that list. That, that should terrify you. It terrifies me. And it terrifies me that we're using this screwed up, piece of shit list as the cornerstone of the new let's limit guns in society thing. It, it, it's a flawed list. Yeah. There's something really wrong with your society when it wants to criminalize that many million people. Well, I mean, the, U the UK really have a terrorist watch list as well. Yeah, we actually have people who investigate the names on the list, though. So, yeah, while we still have errors... Yeah, nowhere near as many as you get in the US. Well, you know, it's you know, really if funny. somebody if somebody has a a false positive happen once, it's corrected straight afterwards. It's like right, that's the wrong person. Take them off the list. You know, because mm -hmm. it's happened. You know, we've had it in the media here. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, your list, yeah, once your name's on there, yeah, good luck getting it off. Um. <laughs> But it's it's just insane. Um, well, and the worst part. So Diane Feinstein gets on TV today, and and the reporter is actually trying to talk some sense into her. Which that when the fuck do you get a reporter on live TV who who says something that makes sense? It, it very rarely. Well, he was hitting her in the head with a bat. No, he was going. But you know, there there are eight year old children on this list. What are you thinking about? You know, this is, he was telling her, this list is highly flawed. Well, we don't have anything else. And it's up to every American, this is what that fucking cunt said, to prove their innocence. Yeah, you yeah. used to be innocent until proven guilty. For, for, for the audience, just before the show, John mentioned this. And I was like, well, Washington, D.C., yeah, the, the, the police chief should just next time her limo's going past, pull her over and arrest her and go, you need to prove your innocence and see what she says then. Look. 
It would never happen, but... None of these lists are are great. They're not even a good idea. You know, in the most armed country in the world, which is what? Switzerland? Which is like one in every two people has a gun because their army is their militia. The nuts are completely screened out because you are given monthly training you have to learn how to use them safely, da 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 And, you know, the government issues them to you. I'm not saying that's a great idea. But I am saying that I don't think they have a whole bunch of people placed on their terrorist watch list that they don't already fucking know about. We're just blindly groping around in the dark at all this shit. And it makes no fucking sense. It really doesn't. Something bad happened. Agreed. Something really bad happened. You know what? If gay, lesbian, and transgendered people are a target, and they're a target of people who are going to shoot to kill them, then we need to teach these people to shoot to kill back. There is no other, at this point, there is no other solution. There's no government band-aid that's going to fix this. We need to get people past the point where they're scared to death of a firearm or of defending themselves. My God, it's your life. Sorry. I'm sorry. I ranted. (laughs) I ranted a lot tonight, actually. Well, you've got to get your system. I guess so. like I said, none of these systems are perfect. None of them are going to work. Oh, and answer to stereo. Yeah, uh, that that case you brought up. Yeah, the officer also, I believe, went to jail. And as I said, when it got noticed, she her name got taken off. But in the US, people it's... get their name on there and then can't get it back off the watch list. I mean, he's absolutely right now oh yeah i mean no system's perfect but at least the uk tries to keep it updated you Um, do want to hear something funny the aclu actually stood up and said no the no-fly list for gun control is ridiculous Mm -hmm. i've never ever heard the aclu stand up for anything i well you know anything like that before that tells you how fucked up it kind of is yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, it all comes down to, yeah, it should be harder to get names on there. Mm-hmm. And you should certainly have should names have come off after you... there's been problems. And obvious I... problems, like, you know, it's a baby. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I'm trying to find that story about the eight-year-old kid. I wish I had saved it. Yeah. I didn't. Um, but yeah, he was born. He was one month old after the 9-11 attacks. So he was one. He's a Boy Scout. He's an A student. He's a good kid. And every time he goes to the airport, they're patting him down. They're strip searching him. They're not letting him on flights. And they've got all of these all the stewardesses are looking down and going, oh my god, calling over not stewardesses, but you know the, the people at the flight desk are calling yeah. over their supervisors and the supervisors are going, come on, it's just a kid and 
the security personnel is still doing it because I guess they're forced to. Well, yeah, they get fired if they don't, I would assume, but yeah. It's just, this is... Pop-Tart kids probably on the list already. Well, I think a lot of kids are on the list for no good reason. Uh, uh, thank you. Meet Mikey. Eight. The U.S. has him on a watch list. Thank you, Stereo Dreamer. The Transportation Security Administration under scrutiny after last month's bombing attempt. Okay, this is from January 13, 2010. Has on its website a MythBuster that tries to reassure the public. Myth, the no-fly list includes an eight-year-old boy. Buster, no eight-year-old boy is on a TSA watch list. Meet Mikey Hicks, said Najaya Feeney Hicks, introducing her eight-year-old son at a New Jersey Cub Scout and freak, who is a New Jersey Cub Scout and frequent traveler who has seldom boarded a plane without a hassle because he shares the name of a suspicious person. It's not a myth. Michael Winston Hicks' mother initially sensed trouble when he was a baby and she could not get a seat for him on their flight to Florida at an airport kiosk. Airline officials explained his name was on the list, she recalled. The first time he was patted down at Newark Liberty International Airport, Mikey was two. He cried. After years of long delays and waits for supervisors at every airport ticket counter, this year's vacation to the Bahamas badly shook up the family. Mikey was first on the way there, then more aggressively on the way home. Up your arms, down your arms, your crotch. Someone is patting your eight-year-old down like he's a criminal, Mrs. Hicks recounted. A terrorist can blow his underwear up and they don't catch him, but my eight-year-old can't walk through security without being frisked. Is it true that Mikey is not on the federal government's no-fly list, which includes about 2,500 people, less than 10% of them from the United States, but his name appears to be among the 13,500 on the larger selectee list, which sets off a high level of security screening. So it's to 1.1 million people from that number in this short amount of time. At some point, someone named Michael Hicks made the Department of Homeland Security suspicious and little Mikey is still paying the price. His father, also named Michael Hicks, was stopped for the first time on the Bahamas trip. Both lists are maintained by the Terror Screening Center, which includes the Federal Bureau of Investigation, of course, they are given to the Transportation Security Administration, which in turn sends them to the airlines. A spokesman for the TSA, James Fuentes, said that as a rule, there are no children on the no-fly list or selectee lists, but would not comment on Mikey's situation specifically. For every person on the list, hundreds of others may get caught up simply because they share the same name. A quirk scanned through a national phone directory unearthed 1,600 Michael Hickses. Over the past three years, 8,100 um, 81,793 frustrated travelers have formally asked that they be struck from the watch list through the Department of Homeland Security. More than 2,500 of their cases are still pending. Others have taken more drastic measures. Rio Labe, a frequent flying Canadian record company executive, started having problems at airports shortly after September 11th, with the lengthy delays at checkpoints and mysterious questions about Japan. By 2005, he stopped flying to the United States from Canada, instead meeting American clients in France. Then a forced rerouting to Miami in 2008 led to six hours of questions. What's the name of your mother, your father? When were you last in Japan? Mr. Lebre recalled being asked, always the same questions in different order, and sometimes it's quite aggressive, not funny at all. Fed up in the summer of 2008, he changed his name to Francois 
Mario Labay problem vanished. Several websites, including the TSA's own blog, are rife with tales of misidentification and strategies for solving them. Some travelers purposely misspell their own names when buying tickets, apparently enough to fool the system. Even the late Senator Edward M. Kennedy once found himself on a list. We can't just throw a bunch of names on these lists and call it security, said Representative William J. Persil Jr., a New Jersey Democrat. If we can't get an eight-year-old off the list, the whole list becomes suspect. Mr. Fuetos, the TSA spokesman, promised improvements in a few months as the agency's secure flight program takes full effect. Under the new system, airlines will collect every passenger's birth date and gender along with their names. The TSA will cross-check all that with their watch lists. Previously, the airlines cross-checked the list themselves using only the names. Certainly, Mikey's date of birth, less than a month before 9-11, should prevent him from being mistaken for a terrorist. A third grader at a parochial school in Clifton, New Jersey, Mikey recites the drill like a world-weary traveler that he is. Leave early for the airport, always with his passport, trying to get a boarding pass at the counter. This will send up a flag. The ticket agent peering down at a tiny bespectacled Mikey will apologize or roll her eyes and call for a supervisor. The supervisor, after a phone call, or more likely a series of phone calls, will ultimately finagle him onto the plane. <clears throat> but the Hickses are typically the last to select seats and the last board, which means they sometimes can't sit together. Mrs. Hicks, a photojournalist who herself got Secret Service clearance to travel aboard Air Force Two with then-Vice President Al Gore, anticipated additional chaos following the attempted underwear bombing. Before leaving for the Bahamas on January 2nd, she reached out to Congressman Purcell's office, which then enlisted a TSA agent to meet the family at the airport. Even this did not prevent Mikey from the extra pat-down. On the way home last Friday, Mikey's boarding pass showed four giant red S's at the airport in Nassau. Oh, random screening, Mrs. Hicks said. Mikey asked his mother not to worry and said he would use his taekwondo. He has a junior black belt if needed. Mrs. Hicks said she wanted to take pictures of her son being frisked, but was told it was against the rules. Mikey, who would rather talk about BMX bikes and his athletic trophies than airport security, remains perplexed about the list and the hurdles he must clear. Why do they think a kid is a terrorist? Mikey asked his mother at one point during the interview. Mrs. Hicks said the family was amused by the mistake at first, but that amusement quickly turned to annoyance and anger. It should not take seven years to correct the problem, Mrs. Hicks said. She applied for redress in December when she first heard about the Department of Homeland Security's program. I understand the need for security, she said, but this is ridiculous. It's quite clear he's eight years old, and while he may have terroristic tendencies at home, he does not have those on a plane. That's the problem. At the bottom of it all, that's the problem. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's it, it's stupid when you can't get errors corrected. <laughs> I mean, it it's, it's it makes the whole thing pointless. Although, yeah, there's something in there that yeah that should be a red flag for any well, people involved in security. I hope already know the big flaw. Yeah, the Canadian who just changed his name, got a different passport. Do you know, I believe terrorists have been known to travel with fake papers. Yeah. Well, all I can... I can't... You, you guys had a, a guy put his wife on the on the freaking no-fly list. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, well, I don't know the full story. I only remember it vaguely. But, yeah, they fell out badly um, he put his wife on the list 
it came to light. I think he served jail time for it. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. And funnily yeah. enough, he won't ever get to do that job again. Um, well, I mean, he allegedly he decided to get rid of her. Yeah. So he decided since they were fighting, he was going to put her on the no-fly list. Yeah. Which kept her from flying back to the country for three years. And then when he was up for a promotion... Somebody decided to look as to why she was on the list. Don't uh -huh. put her there. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. So not only do you have a problem with watch lists, you have people, the problem with the people who are supposed to do their job honestly and correctly. And we all yeah. have that. We all have and that. And th yeah, I think he, he got jail time because he has say. Uh, the the UK list, as far as I'm aware, does get reviewed periodically, mm -hmm. and and he must have kept putting her name back in, as it were, as <laughs> far as I'm well, aware. That guy's a bastard. Uh huh. I I hope. Yeah, to he's keep there. to keep her on her. He was fired, but he did not get jail time. As I say, I didn't keep up with the case, but yeah, he That's certainly funny. will not be getting another job in that sort of area, though. Oh. Um, I'm surprised. Yeah, I, you know, actually. He must have I, had a good lawyer, is all I'm saying. Well, I hope when his wife got home, man, I, <laughs> oh, I hope she sued him and took him to the cleaners at least. Well, that at would be least. a private matter and you won't get, unless. Oh, I know. Unless they I, both signed off on it, the newspapers won't run a story on it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm actually kind of sorry about how off I went tonight. I'm not usually this bad. Yeah. I'm just finding the circumstances of everything to be a little too they're a little too much. Well, everything. venting is required on occasion. Hmm. Everything's a little too hard and a little too much to bear and for no good goddamn reason. This is for no good reason except Somebody, I guess, wants to keep their job, which seems normal. Yeah. I guess that's it. I guess after all my yelling and ranting, I've, I've ranted myself out. I guess that's it for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. She was Pakistani. Nice. Yeah. Hey, do you want the... Um, yeah, you might as well do the Muppets. Everybody deserves a treat after listening to this. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Oh, and um, yellow cake. Why and spend hours Adler. searching for in stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices fast. Ammoseek.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and have a good night, and we will see you next week. <laughs>